Dick Daddy's hand We all stand and smile as they march down the aisle Very soon there will come a day When heaven's bride will be called away We will rise to meet our groom up in the sky I'm going to a wedding in heaven With cards all for me What a celebration, jubilation When we gather around the throne I can hear that trumpet cry April plays, here comes the bride I'm going to a wedding in heaven some sweet day We will march down a street of gold See the signs still left untold Then we'll bow and kneel at the feet of the great I Am Next will come the wedding feast Where our praise will never cease As we celebrate the marriage of the Lamb I'm going to a wedding in heaven When the Lord calls for His own What a celebration, jubilation When we gather around the throne I can hear that trumpet cry Gabriel plays, here comes the bride Sunday night. Appreciate your presence. Grab your handbooks now. Let's stand and sing. Brother Ken's going to come lead us as we stand and worship together tonight. Brother Ken. Amen. In your red book tonight, red hymn book, hymn number 46. I'd rather be an old time Christian. Love this whole song. Hymn number 46 tonight. We'll do the first, last verse, then uh, we'll do some more singing. Amen. <laughs> I've tried most everything and I'm happy now to say there's nothing like religion in the good old-fashioned way. I am walking in the old-time way and I want the world to know that I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I Nothing like an old-time Christian with a Christian love to show. I'm walking in the grand old highway, and I'm telling everywhere I go that I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. All the world is bright since I got right. Now I sing and pray and shout. All my burdens have been lifted. Savior brought me out. I will tell the world both far and near as I travel here below that I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything. 
so much. Let's remain standing for prayer tonight. Uh, again, I want you to pray for uh, Sister Brenda Cassidy. We were right out there with him right before services tonight. I'll give you the information on, on uh, that uh, family. They will receive visitation tomorrow night uh, from 6 until 8 at Bassett Funeral Home. Services will be Tuesday at 11 a.m. also at Bassett Funeral Home. So you please pray for the family, if you would, and the homegoing of her mother. Uh, and I know they'd appreciate that. Sister Rachel Clark was her name. Pray for her dad as well. Uh, they were married 67 years. Uh, just stood by the stuff for all those years. Praise the Lord for that. Pray for the services tonight. James, open us up in prayer. Let's go to the throne room together this evening. Son, pray for us. Our Father, our God, we thank you for allowing us to come back here on the day that you've set aside for us to assemble ourselves together. Father, we thank you that you've given us a means to approach you. Father, we thank you for your son and how you sent him to die for us. Yes. Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have to worship the true God, our, our creator, our maker. And Father, as we proceed into this service to worship you in the ways that you've told us with, with songs, with prayers, with preaching. Father, I pray that our hearts and our minds will be focused on you, your son, and your spirit. And Father, I pray that uh, we would just contemplate what you have done for us and that we would give you the, uh, the praise, God, that you are so worthy of. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for your son. And it is through him we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want you to pray for the choir. This is an old, old song. We've been singing it for years and years and years. Uh, but Renee and I pulled it out and we reworked the arrangement. And I think it sounds pretty good. You listen now as the choir sings, There is a Haven.
Uh, don't forget teens uh, here at the church, young adults, those that are going with us uh, here at the church tomorrow at uh, 8 o'clock, ready to go at 8. We're not uh, arriving at 8, but ready to go at 8. So here with your luggage packed, uh, we'll be taking the big van for everybody to ride in. Brother Carl will be driving the luggage van, so keep that in mind. So here, ready to go. We'll stop and have a meal on route and enjoy the week together. I ask you to be praying for us. Uh, that God will give us a great week together and that the Lord will do a work in the lives of these teens. There's several thousand that are registered uh, to take part in the event, so you pray for Brother C.T. as he leads it and then our teens and young adults as they take part as well. And then, of course, thank you for those who have been bringing in your stuff for Operation Christmas Child. Keep that in mind, if you would, and we would certainly appreciate that. All right, uh, I want uh, ushers, come on and make your way down this evening, if you would. Ladies, you all get ready to sing, uh, play for us, rather. Brother Gerald was scheduled to sing tonight, and as we were leaving today, he looked at me and said, Preacher, would it be all right if I missed tonight? And I told him, be all right. So uh, you, you, you just uh, keep praying for the family. Lord, bless the offering. May it be what you'd have it to be now. Thank you for the opportunity to worship this way. In Christ's name, amen. Take a...
song of fellowship, hymn number 162. It's a good song to get you down the road. Living by faith, we'll sing the first verse, chorus, have a time of fellowship, hymn number 162. I care not today what tomorrow may bring, its shadow or sunshine or
folks. Everybody grab your Bibles tonight. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Gospel of John, chapter number 15. We'll look at a few passages in the Gospel of John tonight, chapter number 15. Thank you for making your way back tonight. I mentioned to you this morning that we were tonight going to be talking about the generational differences, how our lives are transformed, and how we are uh, somewhat molded by the era in which we grew up and the era in which we were born, and especially during our formative years. The theory behind this is that this uh, time period in which we grew up specifically really has a great deal of implication upon our lives as adults and young adults and our child parenting style and lots of things about that. We will, of course, in any conversation like this, speak in very broad terms. We'll talk in generalities. And anytime you do that, there's a danger uh, that folks will think, well, that doesn't apply to me. Certainly everything I say will not be applicable to everyone that's a part of that generation. And the point tonight is for us not to just uh, have an interesting conversation about generational differences, but rather for us to continue from the message this morning that talks about how we reach another generation for Christ. I very much believe that if we don't plan forward, uh, then we will certainly be stopped in our tracks uh, and will end up like many churches, unfortunately, whose glory days were in the yesteryear. I don't know about you, but I don't want the great days of SAGBC to be talked about in the past tense. I want it always to be in the present tense and always moving forward uh, so that we're planning on reaching yet another generation with the message of Jesus Christ. And as I said this morning, and I'll say again, our methods, uh, may, our, our methods have to change. Our message never does. Our methods must change, but our message never changes. And all of this started this week, uh, or rather, uh, uh, all of it started last month in preparation for this week uh, that I was in Wisconsin, and they had requested that I do a little bit of conversation and help them understand some of the generational differences, which is, of course, a topic that I'm fascinated by, and I've always uh, loved studying it over the last few years, especially since I transitioned over into higher education. In the workforce today, we recognize that the generations are different. In the education system today, we recognize that the generations are different. When you have someone sitting in your classroom who's 50 years old, they don't act, think, walk, talk, believe like someone who's 18 years old. It's just the reality of the differences in generation. And in no place, I think, is the generations more evident than in a good-sized church. A good-sized church is a cross-section, if you will, of a multitude of generations. To prove my point tonight, uh, I'm going to talk about some of the generations, and I'm going to ask you to self-identify. That means if I describe your generation, and we'll do it by time periods, I want you to stand up, be proud, be loud, don't be ashamed uh, of the generation you come from, because it certainly defines who you are, and also defines some of the belief systems from a societal standpoint that you adhere to. In the workplace today, there are no less uh, than six generations uh, who make up part of the workplace. And we'll start uh, with what is probably the oldest generation that we have, and that is generation that for many years were simply referred to as uh, the traditionalists. These are folks who were born between 1925 and 1945. For many years, they were just referred to as traditionalists. Uh, 
But about two decades ago, uh, Tom Brokaw wrote a novel, wrote a book, and his book uh, redefined the name of that generation. Instead of being called uh, traditionalists, now they're most often referred to as the greatest generation. And that's because uh, of the book. And a lot of you are already nodding your heads. I can see you. Those of you that were born between that time period, they got doggone straight with the greatest generation. You're right. These are the children who were raised by parents of the Depression. In each of these generations, there is typically a defining event, a defining thing uh, that transformed them, that identified who they are. And for many uh, in this generation, it was the ravages of World War II. These are folks uh, whose parents were raised uh, by those that had survived the Great Depression. Uh, they went through their formative years uh, during a time period uh, where there was not a whole lot of income to be had, quite frankly. I don't think my father would mind me sharing this, but years and years ago, I don't think he does this so much anymore, but when I was a teenager, I would ask him for some money, uh, because I was a teenager, <laughs> Amen. I would ask him for money, and he would open, he would take his wallet out, and he'd pull it out, and he'd have just tons of $100 bills in there. And I looked at him one day, and I said, Daddy, why do you, he doesn't get turned back on, look at me, son, he doesn't do it anymore. My son was like, I looked at him, and I said, Daddy, why do you carry so much money with you? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Greg, when I grew up, we had nothing. Nothing. We, there was no money to be had. There was nothing to do. There was no money to have. And he said, I just kind of never want to have that feeling again. That made sense to me. And so he kept a lot of money with him at that time. There were, this, this was the, 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 the people that came through and recognized and walked through the Korean and Vietnam Wars. These were those people who pledged loyalty to their corporation. And once you got a job, you usually kept it for life. It was dedication to the employer, dedication to the employment mentality. Retirement to this generation often means finding a rocking chair and living your good days with your family in peace. These are people of the Big Bang and the swing music generation, which, by the way, is still good music, just saying. This is a generation that is uh, noted by their disciplined, self-sacrificing, and cautious mentality. People who recognize the value in doing things, quote-unquote, the hard way. Folks who understand that you either do it yourself or you do without. That was the mentality in which they were raised. These folks, again, born between 1925 and 1945. And that's, we're, please understand, we're talking in broad terms. So if that is your generation, 1925 to 1945, you're born between those years. Stand up, greatest generation. Stand up all over the building. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. By all accounts... This is the generation that made America a national world empire. This is the generation that made America and created the strong work ethic that for so many years continued to identify America. This is the generation that for so many sacrificed so much so that subsequent generations could have a better life. In other words, they often did without so that subsequent generations could have it better 
than what they did. The greatest generation, the generation that made America great as well. When I was, uh, a spe- I almost said when I was preaching this week, it may have felt like preaching to some of them folks, but when I was speaking this week, uh, I did the same thing. I did not expect anyone in the, in the room to be from that generation. After all, you don't expect folks who are of that age, quite frankly, to still be employed. They're in retirement years. They're enjoying their retirement years if that's what they choose to do. But as I asked, uh, there was a precious little lady who stood up in the back. She was 75 years old and had been teaching math for 56 years. 56 years. She was the only one that stood and in fact, I commended her, thanked her for her service, and the whole congregation, the whole building, gave her a standing ovation for her 56 years. One of the faculty members came up to me afterward and said, "You wouldn't believe how creative and innovative that woman is. She's always trying to make her lessons different. She carries a whole cart of fun gadgets and things into her classroom. Every class, she comes wearing a, some kind of outlandish costume so that the kids will pay attention to her when she's up there talking. The greatest generation. I love it." The next generation is the one that gave rise to the phrase that we call baby boomers. This is the generation. Again, the years are approximate, but I think you understand what we're saying. This is the generation that was born between 1946 and 1964. This is the generation that gave rise to rock and roll music, you heathens. This is the generation that were understanding uh, uh, that, well, the impact that the television had. They were the generation that went from we never had a TV to we have five TVs. This is the generation where authority and hierarchical tradition was standardized. This is the largest generation in American history in the workforce that employed over 77 million people at one time. A generation that gave rise to the civil rights movement, that gave rise and witnessed the Cold War in Russia, but also the generation that witnessed the highest divorce rate in American history. The generation that really understood that the American dream was possible for so many people. They gave rise to the mentality that you can work at it and you can achieve it. A, a, a generation that split in half, it gave rise to the hippie subculture and to those that chastised the hippie subculture. I was joking with Brother Gerald as we dropped off food at Miss Brenda's house, or Miss Brenda's father's house, rather, because even at the age of 25, Brother Gerald was stoneballed. And I was picking with him just a little bit, and I said, Brother Gerald, baldness is not a new trait for you. He said, Preacher, I've had two phases in my life, long-headed hippie and bald. <laughs> Amen. This is that generation where, for the first time in American history, wives ended up going into the workforce, which meant uh, that the workforce grew to its largest size, again, 77 million people when it was at its height. Baby boomers got the name because when World War II soldiers came home, the population exploded. The amen. I heard amen, and I heard a group of teenagers go, ooh. You think that's gross? Let me tell you one even grosser. 
Go look at the birthdays at Stanley Town's Amazing Grace Baptist Church. November is without a doubt the most prolific month for birthdays. You count backwards, and you will see that nine months from November is February. That's all I'm saying. Amen. That's all I'm saying. But you can do the math yourself. Baby boomers watched America change incomprehensibly. They were the first generation to use retirement as an opportunity to enjoy life after the children had left home. Instead of sitting in a rocking chair, this generation is known to retire and take up skydiving, enjoy their hobbies, and extend their life to the fullest. This is oftentimes the generation that has the bumper stickers that said, we're spending our children's inheritance. <laughs> Amen. If you are part of the baby Bimber generation, 1946 to 1964, stand up, stand up, stand up. Amen, you baby boomers. Give them a big round of applause. Amen. Baby boomers. Now we come to my generation, which became known as Generation X. And interestingly, the time frames begin to condense. When you study this generational psychology and sociology behind it, you, rate the, you note the fact that the generational time frames go from about 40 years to 30 years, and now we get down to the Gen Xers, which is about a 15-year window. Those folks, those individuals who were born between 1965 and 1980. We are the generation that was raised. I love this. I didn't write this, but I love it. We are the generation that was raised on Dukes of Hazzard, Dynasty, and Dallas. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Every, in this generation, when I was a kid, I have to tell you, there was no greater role model than Bo and Luke Duke. And if there was anybody else you wanted to be, it was Jimmy Snooker, the superfly from NWA Wrestling. Amen. Or Greg the Hammer Valentine. <laughs> you Gen Xers are nodding your head. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you do. This is a generation also that became cynical of major institutions. This was a generation that was referred to as latchkey children because many of us, myself included, came home and got off the bus and let ourselves into our house with the key that we had or the key that was hidden somewhere because both of our parents were in the workforce out of necessity. We know what it meant to be at home by ourselves. Miss April and I have chatted about this. Her, she grew up in the ministry, Sister April Ratliff. Her dad was a pastor. And her family, of course, lived out in the wilderness, out in the middle of nowhere. And so when he would get a midnight call that had to run to the hospital, uh, she has shared with me that his wife, her, her mother who's in heaven, would go with them. She was 12 years old, and they would lay the pistol right beside of her bedstand and said, if anybody comes in, sunshine, you know what to do. Amen. Uh, amen. It still does. That's right. In fact, I will tell you this just to put a smile on your face. When, when uh, Miss April's mother went home to be with the Lord, we went down to see her dad, Brother Danny, and the family down there. And I said, Brother Danny, how many guns do you have? He started pulling out guns from every room, every piece of furniture. 30 minutes later, that man's still showing me the guns in his house. 
And then he said, that ain't nothing, preacher. Come look at this. And he flung open a closet door that I know stretched 10 feet across and stacked top to bottom was ammunition like you wouldn't believe. I looked at him and I said, Brother Danny, if you light a match in the wrong place of this house, they'll find pieces of it in North Dakota. Amen. A generation that was raised in the transition of what was written basic knowledge to digital information. We remember being in the school without computers, and then we remember going to school with computers. We remember that, that there was a real desire in middle school and high school to begin understanding what this computer technology was and what it meant for us. I can remember uh, going to a computer tech class as an eighth grader. Several of us were selected from each high school and we were sent over to the uh, administration building, four or five from each high school. Uh, we were the special kids uh, who got introduced to computer technology. We sat there for three hours once a week uh, and listened to what bits and bytes were and inserted floppy disks and didn't even understand what we were doing because we were waiting for the last 30 minutes of the lesson when we could play Space Invaders on the computer. This is a society that witnessed the rise of AIDS, a society that began obsessing about career and conscious boomers amidst the societal disappointment of government authority. This was the generation that noted that the greatest problem in school went from being cigarettes to drugs. This is the generation that was very late to marry and very quick to say we want to raise our children differently. This was the generation that quickly bought into labels and brand names. I can remember looking at my father and saying, no, I can't have shoes from Kmart. And he looked at me, and I can remember distinctly him saying, if you want some, you can. Amen. This is a generation that was learning to survive as individuals because of our latchkey syndrome. Cautious, skeptical, and often unimpressed with authority, sometimes self-reliant, this makes up the generation that's known as Generation X. Gave rise to the grunge movement, something I think is hideous, by the way. But the reality is that era defines Generation X. And in fact, it was the grunge movement. That's the style of clothes where you look like uh, that you just got out of bed uh, and look like an unmade bed and walk around looking like your clothes came out of the garb. That, you can buy clothes like that, folks. I can remember my father saying to me, as God is my witness, he said, why would you buy jeans with holes already in them? Amen. Some of you are nodding, you know what I'm talking about. Generation X. Now people will spend $200 for a pair of jeans that you can rip holes into. If you're a part of Generation X, stand up, stand up, stand up. Woohoo! Yeah, give us a round of applause too now. This is the generation that is now the predominant in the workforce, Generation X. This is that certainly there are still baby boomers in the workforce, but they're approaching retirement age. 
And retirement means something altogether different for Gen Xers. Retirement means something radically different uh, than just sitting on a porch or wasting our in children's inheritance. But oftentimes for Gen Xers, or uh, uh, I should say spending our kids' inheritance, for Gen Xers, it's how we can change the world during our retirement years, how we can make a difference in the lives. Then we give rise to the generation, quite frankly, that's taken a lot of flack. Generations that are called the millennials. Millennials, uh, so-called because they were born at the end of the millennium, the generation from 1981-ish to about 2000. The define. Let me back up for just a moment. Baby boomers, the defining moment, uh, according to virtually all sociologists, the defining moment of the baby boomer generation was the assassination of President Kennedy. Most every single baby boomer, you know exactly where you were when you got the news, uh, and, and the generation before as well, you know exactly where you were the moment you heard that JFK had been assassinated. For the generation that came after, my generation, Gen X, uh, that defining moment uh, by most sociological accounts was the explosion of the space shuttle. Many of us sat uh, there in front of the television. Why? Because a teacher, Krista McCullough, uh, was on the space shuttle, and so t schools from across the country uh, sat there glued uh, to watch the first teacher go up in space, only to watch in horror in front of our very young eyes as that space shuttle exploded. And we learned lessons very clearly then uh, that would impact us. For the millennials, please think about this. For the millennials, the event that marks their generation is the one that changed the world. The event that marks their generation did not just change the culture, didn't just change this country, but it changed the world. And I think every one of you know I'm talking about 9-11. This, this generation, the millennials, born between 1981 and 2000, witnessed uh, an opportunity for dramatic change like we've never seen before. School safety became a reality. Having to live with things that they never, that previous generations never thought would be found in schools. They were taught early that the world is not a safe place. For those of us that grew up in the 70s and 80s and prior, we grew up watching Happy Days. We grew up watching uh, relatively harmless television and it culturated us to believe that the world is a safe place. Millennials grew up watching the world trade towers fall in front of their eyes. And they learned early that there is no place, no church, no school, no building that is in fact a safe place. They are a generation that have placed great expectation upon themselves. They are a generation, listen very carefully, We've used to say that this generation was tech-savvy. That's no longer appropriate. This is a generation that is technology-dependent. This is a generation that sees the world as a very rapid 24-7 place. And they have been told, listen now, this is a generation that has been told over and over and over that they're special, that they will be protected, and they want the world to treat them that way. Before we chastise them, 
the ones that told them that over and over were their ba were their 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 generation X parents and their baby boomer grandparents. We told them over and over how special they were, and indeed they are. They don't live to work, but before a more relaxed work environment with a lot of hand-holding and a lot of accolades. We jokingly talk about this is the generation that grew up on the baseball team where everybody got a trophy. This is the generation, and we joke about it, but it's the reality. It's the generation where competition was almost outlawed because we did not want to create an environment of winners or losers. But this is also a generation who has their eyes set on how they can change the world around them. This is a generation who grew up knowing that there is something wrong with the world today and I want to do everything I can to make it a better place. You understand previous generations didn't see the world that way. They had a very, very different image of the world. But these millennials have grown up in an environment where the world is dangerous, and so they seek to value themselves so that they can make a contribution to society. It is a very different mentality. So the millennials, you young whippersnappers, y'all stand up. Amen. Give these young folks a round of applause. Amen. Let me pause a second and say, it's a blessing that we have millennials in our congregation. Because millennials are of the age now where most of them are young adults. Most of them are out of high school. And they have the option of whether or not they're going to make church a reality. They have the option whether or not they're going to continue with the value system in which they were raised. And for many, many, many millennials, uh, they have walked away from that value system, decided it was not for them. So it is a blessing that we have millennials in our congregation. And then we give rise to that generation that's coming of age today those that were born after 2001. And they've gone through a couple of different names. They started off being called Generation Z, but in most recent years, they've started being called the iGen because of the prolific spread of technology like iPads and iPhone. They're being referred to among sociologists as iGen. I'm going to give you some statistics that I think are staggering because this, whether you agree, please listen to me what I'm about to say. Whether you agree with the politics of this, listen to what I'm about to say. This is a generation, a group of children, who until this year never knew a president that wasn't African American. I want you to think about that for just a second. Two generations ago, let's just be honest, the possibility of a minority or a female in the White House was a no-starter. It wouldn't happen. But the iGen generation were born into a society where the most important man in the country, if not the world, was a member of a minority population. I, I read a statement about this generation that blew my mind. They only recognize diversity when it's not there. This is a generation that only recognizes diversity if it's not there. They walk in and they recognize the fact, wait a minute, this is a strange-looking congregation in here because we're all white folks. 
They're used to being in cultures uh, where there are multiple nationalities. In fact, this may stagger your mind when I tell you this, but since the early 1700s, the most common last name in America has been Smith until 2016, where the most common last name became Rodriguez. A total transformation of our society. Total transformation. This is a generation where 62% of them have televisions in their room, and many of them have more than one. This is a generation that despite the fact they are only 12 years old and younger, 70% of them have cell phones. Not, and it's not used to call. Cell phones are not used to call people in this generation. This is a generation that would prefer to digitally communicate rather than face-to-face -face or verbally communicate. They have never known a world without computers or cell phone. It is a massive transformation in our society. Now, what does all of this have to do with church? What does any of this have to do with what we are as a group of believers? I want to make a statement that I've made twice now, but I want to make a third time. If we don't appeal to subsequent generations with our methods, not our message change, but if we don't appeal to subsequent generations with our methods, then we have signed our own death certificate. It is for this reason, quite frankly, that we adopted uh, a few months ago uh, a, an opportunity for folks to utilize online tithing. Because in my responsibilities as an, uh, a vice president of, of, of advancement, uh, I would often talk to millennials uh, about donating, and I would say, well, you can send your check. And after being told three or four times, we don't have a checkbook, I realized uh, things have changed. And so had the conversation with our leadership team. We've got to prepare for another generation and how they do things and not wait until we're left behind to get it done. That's the reason we send our messages and all of our communication out electronically because that's how this generation today accepts messages is through an electronic format. So I want to say again, our methods must evolve. And I get so frustrated, to be very blunt with you, with some preachers who draw lines in the sand and criticize the methods that others adopt for trying to reach a group of believers. As long as the message stays the same, who cares what the methods are? Who cares what the methodology is? Get them in, win them to the cause of Christ, and keep on plowing forward. So understand that I submit to you that sociologists say today that we are now, and I'm speaking to everybody, regardless of your generation. I didn't ask. Who are the iGens? These are our little kids. Just wave your hands, guys. They don't know who I'm talking about. They're too busy coloring. It's okay. Amen. <laughs> There's a handful of them. Brooke, raise your hand. Bless your heart on the front row. Thank you, Brooke. This is, today we live in what is called a post modern society where the age of consumption has become a reality and that's for all of us folks we are now a completely consumer 
driven society. Think about this. Those of you who are part of the greatest generation, or you're part of the baby boomers, it costs more now to entertain children than it used to cost to educate children. Think about that. And before we cast blame, the only ones we have to blame are us. It costs more today to entertain them than it does to educate them. My wife and I went out to dinner this week, and on two separate occasions, I sat amazed at a very large family. And I am by no means casting blame because I would do the same thing uh, if it meant keeping my kids keep shut up and still. <laughs> but I, 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 I sat in amazement as a very large family of seven adults and six or seven kids, uh, after they placed their order, mamas opened up their large bags and pulled out iPads and sat down in front of every single one of them as an opportunity to keep them quiet and entertained uh, until dinner arrived I say to you that our methodology must transform so what is it that we're looking for what am I giving you by saying all of this may I say very simply that regardless of generations regardless of who we are and where we were born there is one thing that I think runs the gamut and that is the need today for authentic Christianity authentic real Christianity please turn with me to John 15 quickly that's a very lengthy introduction and I'll be very fast tonight in the next few minutes John 15 please verse 12 John 15 verse 12 and 13 Jesus speaking he says this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Church, would you listen to me very carefully? As a church, as a body of believers, we must authentically love one another. We can communicate in an instant Yet real communication today is at an all-time low. You know that. You take a poll of what seems to be the greatest problem in any work environment, and number one is always lack of communication. Yet there's more emails, text messages, uh, things that go out, uh, but we are inundated with communication, uh, yet there seems to be a great dearth of it. The world, a lost society, listen carefully, needs to see in us a group of people who genuinely love one another, even when we sometimes don't like each other. Why, preacher? Because we're family. And do you understand, amen, do you understand that you can love family even when you don't like family? Amen. All of you, let's be honest. All of you have family members that sometimes just work the ever-loving snot out of your nerves. Amen. But you love them because they're your family. We need that same reality in church today. We don't quit family because family does one little thing that we don't like. 
We don't quit family because family didn't speak to us or something happened. We don't do it that way. Why? Because it's family. I say this often. I've watched my wife and her brother all but come to blows arguing with each other, ready to pull each other's hair out, but let somebody else talk about them. And they're ready to pound the other person. We ought to have that with our church family, folks. What we have is special. What God has created with the church is special, not to be taken for granted, and should, in fact, be cherished in such a way that we can disagree with each other. But by golly, nobody out there better start putting their two cents in. Authentic community. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. I'd like you to look at verse number 7, if you would. John chapter 16, verse number 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus says. Is it, expedi it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I, do not, if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he, please underscore that, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I said, number one, the world needs to see in us an authentic Christian community, but they also need to see in us an authentic Christian commitment. An authentic Christian commitment. I learned by error, quite frankly, because when I was a young preacher and a young pastor, I certainly made my fair share of mistakes. I thought that if I fixed the outside, everything else would be taken care of. But what I learned along this is that taking care of the outside means little when the inside's still a mess. And that when we preach a loving God who loves sinners despite who they are and what they've done and longs to bring sinners into the fold, in other words, when we love them to Calvary, then I have learned that the Holy Spirit does so much more than what I could ever do. And I have to tell you, I think that we as churches have done a great disservice at times by chastising people who are lost and therefore not like us. Listen to me carefully. We preach on sin, but we love the sinner. We preach on sin, but we love the sinner. How can you do that? Because you never forgot that you were just once like them. You never forget the fact uh, that you were once the drunk. You were once the drug addict. Uh, you were once the whoremonger. You were once the fornicator. You were once out in lost sinfulness. And thank God somebody loved you enough to tell you there is a better way. Authentic Christian community. Authentic Christian confrontation commitment. And finally, what I'm calling authentic Christian character. We'll stop with this, but please turn to John chapter 17. Look with me. In verse number 14. Look at verse 14. Jesus again speaking says, I have given them thy word, and the world hated 
them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil they are not of the world even as I am not of the world look at verse 17 sanctify them through the truth and almost as if Jesus understood that in ages to come there would be somebody who says with truth what is the truth he said thy word is truth thy word is truth listen to me our culture has had enough of people who come to church on Sunday and act a whole different way on Monday our society has seen enough of people who put on their church clothes, pick up their church Bible, walk into their church, sit down in their church pew, and on Monday take their church clothes off, sit down their church Bible, and take off their church character and are somebody altogether different. What we preach and teach on Sunday, the world needs to see us living on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday you see when the lost person walks into our church I want them to understand this is a group of people that love each other would love to get to know them I don't think you know I uh, uh, it, it may seem like sometimes that when we do fellowship song we are forcing you to shake hands. Do you know why that is? Because I've been in a whole lot of churches where I felt like nobody wanted me there. And I don't want anybody to come to this church and feel like that they are unwelcome or unwanted because of who they are or what they did. Who they are or what they did doesn't matter. Why? Because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And then I want them to see a church full of people whose Christian character is as real as the Bible they hold in their hands who love the Lord who love the lost and who love leading the lost to the Lord let's stand to our feet tonight a message that I believe cuts through the generations regardless of their differences brother Ken come on we'll do a quick invitation this evening I'm going to ask you tonight with heads bowed and eyes closed. I know on a Sunday night, undoubtedly folks are here who are saved. I will tell you that we had two this morning, two adults who raised their hand. And as far as I know, they walked out of here lost. I'm going to invite you to pray for them that God gives them another chance, that he convicts them of one more time. Maybe you've got friends, family members, co-workers, people that you love dearly. That you're worried right now about their salvation I haven't asked you this in a while but if that describes you I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand but if you want to just come one more time to this old altar call out their names again asking the Lord to allow you to be the agent through which that Christian character is displayed while you're coming I invite you to pray for Brother Travis Tincher that's the 90 plus year old military veteran from our church Sister Nadine Allen's father seems to be in the final days of his life unless the Lord miraculously intervenes pray for that family if you would but if you've got somebody dear and dear upon your heart you come this evening brother Ken sing us one verse
sing it with us all over the building. I need the old, I need the every hour. One more time. Chorus one more time. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you gave to us on this, the Lord's day, to come back to the Lord's house, worship the Lord's Son with the Lord's people one more time. Lord, thank you for the various generations that we have in our congregation. Lord, we need every one of them. We need those senior statesmen and those senior stateswomen as our examples of how to continue to fight the good fight. Lord, we need those middle-aged generations to be the hard-working backbone of the church. Lord, we need the young folks to come along. Lord, pick up the mantle of the cross and continue to sound out the gospel message for another generation to come. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't make us all the same. Lord, you made us who we are, but we are plainly told, despite our differences, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Lord, help us as a church family to be just that, a family that loves one another, that cherishes one another. And Lord, that is conditioned only by the simple reality of leading the lost to Jesus Christ. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the church that he has called and created. Lord, we love you. But more importantly, we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Fellowship with each other Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Pray for the teens this week. You're dismissed this evening.